This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. Greetings. I'm Russ Charbonnier, past Grand Master of Masons in California, 2014-15. It is my pleasure to present Masonry by Example. This short talk is the address given by the Reverend R. Bruce Brannan of Ingleside, Texas, a past Grand Master of the Lone Star State, at the annual banquet of the Conference of Grand Masters of North America on February 19, 1968. His permission to print his remarks was given with the same warmth and geniality with which his address was delivered. About the time the 19th century was turning into the 20th century, the Reverend Russell Conwell of Philadelphia was one of this nation's most famous lecturers. His most popular address was titled Acres of Diamonds. Many of you are quite familiar with the ancient Eastern tale on which that lecture was based. It was the account of the activities of a Persian named Hafed after he had heard the tale told by one of his storytellers so prominent in the East. These men moved from place to place and were always welcome to stay around the fireside for they brought news and entertainment into the dreary lives of many of their strange and mysterious stories. Such a storyteller was the newspaper, the TV, and entertainer all in one of the ancient East. One of his intriguing tales fired the dreams and imagination of Hafed. The visitor had told of fields of diamonds to be found in many far away places. If a man could find such a field, he would become wealthy enough to become one of the world's great rulers. The legend of fabulous riches for the finding and taking became so real to Hafed that he sold his farm and other possessions and began a long journey to the faraway places where the diamond fields were supposed to exist. After searching for many years, worn and tired and penniless, Hafed died far from home, an alien in a strange land. He found no diamonds. Some years later, another Persian, digging on Hafed's farm, discovered the famous diamond mines of Golconda. Right under Hafed's feet, on his own farm, there were acres of diamonds. Serving my own Grand Lodge as foreign correspondent, I have enjoyed reading the proceedings of over 60 Grand Lodges, both in 1966 and 1967. As I read, I learned that with a few outstanding exceptions, these Grand Lodges have reported a loss in membership, mainly because of non-payment of dues and fewer candidates seeking the degrees. Along with these reports of losses, we have found a number of remedies to overcome them. They cover too wide a range to be listed here. Some, I am afraid, come close to violating some of our ancient landmarks. Perhaps some of us are forgetting the basic philosophy of Freemasonry and are being carried along 
by the modern misconception that size in numbers are the measure of success, when perhaps this is not so in the field of masonry. The Grand Lodge of the Republic of Texas was organized in the city of Houston on December 20th, 1837. Only 15 years later in 1852, the Grand Master of Masons in Texas in his annual report stated in part, in concluding this report, I think it may be safely said that the principal danger to which masonry is exposed is our excess of popularity. The reckless multitudes are thronging at the gates, which in earlier times were open to none but a well-tried, trusty, and chosen few, and to them only after the most rigid scrutiny. The prolificate, the idler, the hypocrite, the foolish, and the corrupt are rushing forward to the porch of our consecrated temple, which in the days of our forefathers was pressed by no footsteps but those of this rigid moralist, the profound philosopher, or the holy and ministering priesthood. During and following World War II, our lodges had the greatest increases in the history of American Freemasonry. Just 20 years ago, in 1947, the Grand Lodge of Texas had the greatest one-year increase in its entire history. This was true all over the United States. In February of 1947, I was privileged to prepare a paper for delivery at this Grand Master's Conference on the subject, Assimilating the Wartime Mason. Our degree mills had been and were still grinding steadily, and in many places, both day and night. But now, as I look back over these 20 years, I am led to ask, did masonry gain anything except numbers? I know this statement will be challenged, and I hope it is. But I still wonder and ask many times, what did we gain? Let me quote more from the Grand Master's Report of 1852. While ever the human heart is prone to error, numbers will be dangerous to associations of morality and benevolence. If it were better that there were three Freemasons in the world, and they as wise and as worthy as the ancient and venerated patrons of the order, then that there be three times three million who sully the lambskin everyone is required to wear with pleasure to himself and honor to the fraternity. He continued, It is to be feared that many are crowding our portals and seeking admission from idle curiosity, that many more have only in view the immediate temporal advantages which may result to themselves or to their families. It is much to be feared that too few are actuated by a love of knowledge and a sincere desire to benefit their fellow creatures, the legitimate motives which should impel all who are in search of Masonic light. Formerly, to become a member of the ancient and honorable order of Freemasons was regarded as an honor extremely rare conferred only upon those who were distinguished for their proficiency in knowledge and practice of virtue. Now, so popular has masonry become that we are sometimes forced to meet in the lodge room those with whom we would scorn association on the sidewalk. Masonry is a society whose liberal principles are founded on the immutable laws of truth and justice, 
and whose grand object is to promote the happiness of the human race. It is based upon the belief in a few elementary doctrines and the practice of a few social and moral virtues in which all men can agree. Then surely it is designed to affect the life and conduct, to rectify the hearts and regulate the actions of men. It is intended to assist good men in the performance of all that is right, to protect them against the assaults of the vicious and the unprincipled, and to establish in the practice of social virtues a standard of intelligence and moral excellence which shall be worthy of emulation. Masonry's best asset is the life of the individual Mason. Masonry, by example. Live in deeds, not years. In thoughts, not breaths. In feelings, not in figures on a dial. We should count time by heart throbs. He most lives, who thinks most, feels the noblest, acts the best. And he whose heart beats quickest lives the longest. Why must we go out into the world seeking remedies for what appears to be an illness in our great order? The fraternity has withstood many onslaughts during the passage of the years. Even anti-Masonic political parties have arisen only to die. Men have proclaimed the death of our beloved institution. In spite of all these prophets of doom, Freemasonry is alive, alive in the hearts of truly devoted Freemasons. What other explanation is there for this great assemblage here tonight? Masonry has always been a quiet, ever-acting lump of leaven down in the dough of mankind, working within the lives of good men. Their example, the very nature of their lives and characters, the things they have stood up for day by day, have drawn other good men into the ranks of our order. The world has looked to Masonry and its many members for a contribution no other organization of men has been able to give. Surely every life is a caravan, carrying its hopes and fears somewhere, many a long, hard mile, hardly knowing where, quite lost now and then, looking about always anxiously for anything that may help it to keep going, to put life into it, to make it feel that holding on is worthwhile. These lives have come to the individual Mason because the word that has gone forth into the world, the word that a Mason has something to share with his fellow man. Sympathy is one of the things they come seeking in us. And we are living in a world where just now we can least afford to be without it. Not the cheap kind, which is nothing but diluted sentiment. We need the kind that costs something, the kind that bows its head in the presence of need and enters into the downcast heart of another bearing, the healing balm of true sympathy. Good cheer is another of the things they come seeking in us. We need a surplus of that for sharing, not the glad hand, but a spirit that quickens another's slowing pulse. Not a chirp or a twitter practice for the occasion, but a note of resonant sincerity, like the diapason of a mighty organ 
leaving all the life around it quivering and glad. Faith is still another thing men come seeking in us. Do we, modern Masons, find it such a difficult business holding on to our own that there's hardly enough for us, let alone a margin for anybody else? The Mason poet stated it this way, there are three lessons I would write, three words as with a burning pen. In letters of eternal light upon the hearts of men, have faith wherever thy bark is driven, the calm's disport, the tempest's mirth. Know this, God rules the hosts of heaven, the inhabitants of earth. Have hope, though clouds environ now, and gladness hides her face in scorn. Put then the shadow from thy brow, no night but hath its morn. Have love, and not alone for one, but man as man thy brother call. And scatter as the circling sun thy charities on all. Thus grave these lessons on thy soul, faith, hope, and love. And thou shalt find strength when life's surges cease to roll, light where thou else wert blind. Beneath the ground of Freemasonry, beneath our feet as Masons, acres of diamonds untouched, the genuine life of a true Freemason is all the advertisement Freemasonry needs. The daily contact of the truly dedicated Freemason dedicated to the working of the true principles of Freemasonry upon the world. That's Masonry, by example. I would not decry our great charitable endeavors for one moment. Only two years ago, I did extensive research in the field of Masonic charities. I know that the Masons of the United States and Canada, in all rights and orders, are giving over one half million dollars for charity every day. Over 60% is spent upon those who have no claim upon Freemasons. No, I would not belittle these great benevolent endeavors. I glory in them. But every Mason here tonight realizes that most of this is done rather impersonally. We pay our dues, and part of that goes to the great charitable endeavors. We do not need to leave our desks or our homes to do this. It is an automatic thing just like the Associated Charities or the United Fund. This work is great and worthy, but the man puts nothing of his person into it. It is just a donation. If this is all that we are to do as Freemasons, then Masonry needs some sort of a public relations department to inform the world of our charitable work. What I am pleading for is a return to the personal, individual practice of the principles of Freemasonry. Let our example be our public relations department. Is it really necessary for our good deeds to be spread over the face of the daily paper? I truly believe that if the Masons of North America would be just what Freemasons are supposed to be, if we would put into daily practice the vows we have made, if we were genuine Masons at heart, and not just in the pocketbook. What a different world this would be. 
Only a few months ago, a group of Malay boys were helping me to clear away some of the debris left on my lawn by Hurricane Beulah. They were fine young men in the late high school and early college group. They asked me, what led you to want to be a Mason? My answer was very prompt and really honest. Because I grew up to a manhood in the home of a truly dedicated Mason, and I wanted to be like him. I wanted to associate with the kind men he chose as his associates. My dad's example led me to the portals of our great fraternity. That was answer enough for them. But I did tell them the following incident that came to pass when I was about 12 years old. My dad was a farm boy. Many times I heard him say one of the great days of his life was when he was emancipated from plow handles. It had been repeated frequently enough to become a familiar saying in our family circle. There came a day when death entered the home of a neighbor. The father, a farmer, was taken, leaving a widow and several orphaned children, one of whom was a son who had finished a nearby agricultural college in June. The funeral was in February or March. Several hush-hush meetings were held by men of the community and the son was sent back to finish his education. Then came the time for the plowing and harrowing and bedding of land, to be followed by the planting of seed. I saw my dad, who had been emancipated from plow handles, join the doctor, the grocer, and some 10 or 12 more men. They carried on the work on that farm until the son graduated and returned in summertime. When I would ask why, all the answer I received was, Brother Harris was a Mason. Need I say more? Even to the mind of a boy, there came the knowledge that to be a Mason meant sacrifice, but such a rewarding sacrifice. Less than two months ago, I was called into a neighboring state to do the funeral of a very dear Masonic friend. I stood all of one day with his children beside the case in which there rested his earthly temple. I saw many of all ages, of both high and low estate, who came and stood with tears streaking their faces unashamed. But I was struck most of all by the number of fine younger men who came. I listened to their accounting of how our friend had been a second father to them, how his counsel had helped them to climb over many of youth's hard places where many fall and fail, how his material aid had helped start them on the way to an honorable livelihood for themselves and their families. Yes, masonry stood higher than any monument man has ever erected in the hearts of these young men. Our friend had mentioned some time ago how he had made a fortune or two and had thrown them away. I saw that day where he had thrown them, upon the orphaned, the widowed, and the needy. He lived his masonry every hour of every day of a long and exceedingly rich sacrificial life. Tonight I plead not for the good old days. I am a product of the days, the bedroom and path, and I do not want to go back to them but I do plead for a return to the good old ways when men did not need to see a piece of jewelry to know that a man was a Mason. 
I plead for a return to personal daily masonry by example. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.